Hi, everyone. This is uh, Colleen Farrell. I'm the technical advisor for knowledge management and communications with the food and nutrition security team. And this is our Failing Forward podcast I'm here today with Emily Janik, who's going to be talking to us about learning agenda failures. Welcome, Emily. Could you go ahead and give us some of the context of uh, the problem or failure today? Learning agendas are something we talk a lot about in development, and we talk a lot about at CARE. We want to be a learning organization. We want to prove that we're learning. We genuinely are curious and want to learn things. So we use that term learning agenda a lot. And in my various roles at CARE, I've been here a little over seven years now. I've been involved in learning agendas at the project level, at the global level, focused on a specific technical area, focused on a region, thinking about what does that mean and how do we do it. Specifically in this case, I'm going to talk about the learning agenda that I was in first joined the food and nutrition security team. But it's a pattern that I see over and over again. So everything I'm going to say now is stuff that has been repeated in other contexts and I've seen personally more than once and frankly have been responsible for perpetrating more than once. This is a case study, but there's broader context here. Why don't you go ahead and dive in and let us know uh, what went wrong? In the learning agenda for the food nutrition security team, this was back in 2015, the way we started was the way I've seen us start every learning agenda we've ever done. We said, what questions do we want to ask? And one of the great things about CARE is that people are really curious and they really like to learn. And also that CARE is very democratic and we really want everybody to feel included. And first step in this process is always, what are our questions? And we come up with a list of 100 questions. And then everybody looks at that and says, ooh, that's a lot. Let's narrow it down. And there is a massive amount of time and energy that goes into narrowing it down. But when we say narrowing it, what we really mean is clustering. So we go from maybe 100 questions to five, we call them questions, but they're really sort of thematic areas. And each one of the questions we come, came up with, in this case, there was nutrition, and we had a question around nutrition, but was really sort of seven questions kind of smushed into one. And then we had a question around sustainable agriculture. And there were a whole bunch of pieces about how does this impact climate resilience and how does this impact production and how does this impact women? We said that it was seven questions, but it really wasn't. It was really 50 questions. <laughs> and we were trying to put too many frameworks in at the same time. We were working on what is now the vision for just and sustainable food security. So that's the one that has the bucket around agriculture, nutrition, humanitarian action, and sustainable economies. We also have the super principles, which are a different framework that has five pieces. We were also looking at the women's empowerment framework with agency structure and relations. We were trying to make everybody happy. We say we want everybody to be able to see themselves in this learning agenda. So when we put it out there in the world, we want everybody to be able to look at it and say, yes, the work I am doing contributes to that. Excellent. I feel included. Fundamentally, that doesn't work. Fundamentally, we can't learn everything all the time. And another piece that we do is that we make these really complicated processes. So not only is the process of getting to your list of 50 questions masquerading as seven questions hard and slow, and you have to ask 200 people before you can get to your list, then we say, okay, how are we going to find out this information? We're going to do a document review, and that's exactly what we said here. And we're going to go look at every document we have. We're going to try to figure out how do we systematize that piece of work. Dear volunteer who's not getting paid for this, who doesn't have any extra time, 
read a document and fill out this spreadsheet that's 200 columns wide with every single piece of information and slightly nuanced version of these questions. Nobody did it. Of course nobody did it. That's right. complicated and they don't really know what it means. And to be honest, even if they had done it, we would not have known what to do with that information because then out of those 200 columns, which one is useful? Can you actually compare the data document to document? How do you prioritize? Well, this document, the evidence was higher quality and this one it was lower. How do you pick out of that? We made this really complicated process and then leaned on a lot of people who were already far too busy and said, here's an additional piece of work. You can volunteer. And recently I was involved on the other end of a learning process and got an email that said, it's such an honor, we have selected you to participate. Here are your six documents and your Excel sheet with 200 columns. And I thought, really? Honor? That's what this was? And then I thought, oh man, I've done this to people before. I absolutely have sent this email to other people. We treat it like we're doing people a favor by giving them an opportunity to learn. And really what we're doing is piling a bunch of work on them. I'd say the other big failure there was that we had no plan about how we were going to use that information. We just really had no idea if we got answers. Say every person read all of their documents and filled out that entire spreadsheet, and we figured out a way to make sense out of all of those spreadsheets that came back, then what? And there was no then what. We had no decision that it was helping us make, that if we answer this question, that means we'll design the next program differently. So we want to have a publication, and we need to answer this question in order to publish and we have a deadline attached to it. We did have a visioning process going on at the time. We were talking about what became the vision for just and sustainable food systems, but that was in no way connected to this learning agenda, that this will inform a process that's currently going on. It was just, we want to learn. So there was no incentive and no accountability to do that. However interested you are in learning, there is a to-do list a mile long that every person at CARE is operating with, and you have to pick at the end of the day what you think is going to be valuable. Lastly, we did what we always do at CARE. We said, well, this is actually hard because we don't have resources. And we actually miraculously did get funding for a piece of the learning agenda. So that was the piece around metric. And we said, great, now we have resources, but no time. So what we're going to do is hire a consultant. We're going to hire a consultant who's going to tell us what our metric should be. Were we actually going to listen to a consultant who told us, here's what CARE's global metric on food security should be? No, we weren't going to do that. We would. Then the procurement process is hard. We actually never hired the consultant. You know, we had all these aspirations. They were much too big and not very focused not the right resources or processes to implement and no particular incentive or accountability because even if we'd implemented it, it would not have changed anything. People quite rightly selected this as, oh, this is one of those care things that is not worth my time. Nodded and smiled and said, great idea, and then quietly moved on with their day. Well, that's not great. And that's <laughs> definitely definitely a lot that you just unpacked there. What would you say was critical in terms of like moving past all of that and moving forward to actually have an effective learning agenda and engagement with the team? First of all, we stopped calling it the learning agenda. What this all became is actually the set of global metrics around food and nutrition security. Eventually, we were able to get to something really constructive. We were able to produce something that we are using at CARE, but only by completely divorcing it from the process of learning agenda. Donor was great, gave us the money. We couldn't figure out how to hire a consultant. Because that money was there, immediately gave us a focus to move from those 50 questions that we were pretending were seven questions to say, here is one question. What should we be measuring? And that was a single question. 
question. Because we had resources behind it, that focused us down right away. Because that was plugged into the broader conversation that was happening around metrics at care. It was plugged into the idea of peers and what was happening there. Suddenly there was subtraction and there were some obvious stakeholders who weren't just those of us who sit in the global headquarters. And there was a real clear decision point that we needed by 2016, we needed to have a list of global metrics that we were ready to say, this is part of the CI program strategy and this is what we're plugging in. So there was leadership, accountability, and attention on those issues. It was going to be really obvious if we didn't do anything with it. We quietly dropped all of the things that weren't the metrics piece. And so in some ways, we didn't fix it at all. The learning agenda itself, if you went back to that document, that never got fixed. That all just dissolved. But we were able to do a really interesting piece of work by changing what we were thinking about. It can be very easy, perhaps too easy to get caught in the weeds, you know, around very specific technical questions as you're thinking about metrics or learning agendas or otherwise. So I think having that clarity and also that accountability is really important for success. If you were to do it again, what would you do differently? When we got to that process where we said, everybody put down every question you've ever been interested in on the board, I would never have let us do that. That is not a constructive way to approach the question. But it's, as I say, I've seen us do this over and over again. Um, and I've had conversations recently where people are replicating this exact same process. So I would narrow things a lot faster from the start. And I would narrow them by looking at stakeholders who are not the usual suspects. So instead of having the team that always sits together talking about this stuff, sit together and talk about this stuff. In this case, it was the food and nutrition security team, but I've seen it happen with other teams. I would start asking, what's going on in a country office? What is a regional priority? What is a decision point that's on the table right now that we think we could influence or that we have a question about? I would change the way that we develop our questions or the way we even approach sourcing the question. And with all the respect the world, I would not ask every single person that cares. Just roll that out and have an infinite survey that, that anybody fills out forever to get to that set of questions. The broader stakeholder engagement comes a little later when you have a narrower set of questions. And among those questions, you want to figure out which of these things are the highest priority right now. If you were to kind of even refine that a little bit further and give one specific action for recommendation for whether that be a team at care or maybe a partner that we're working with on the ground or government entity, what would your recommendation be? The first one I would say is come at it backwards. Start with decisions you currently have on the table and information that would help inform those decisions. So instead of saying what are questions we're interested in, saying here's a thing we have to do, what information do we need in order to do that? Start the process of sourcing your questions backwards. The second, build it into the work plan and into work people are already doing and they already care about. Instead of sending, here are your four evaluations and your giant spreadsheet to fill out. What is happening already and how can we learn from that? So many projects, for example, have a quarterly check-in where they talk about programmatic issues and what's working and what's not. Can you add a question to that agenda so that instead of layering another process on, you're built into something that's already happening? And, this, and the last thing I would say, simplify as much as you can. Perfect is not a helpful idea. We're never going to get there. And what we see is we keep sort of hanging bells and whistles on things of, 
wouldn't it be great if we added this framework? Wouldn't it be great if we added this nuance? Strip as much of that out as you can and focus only on the thing that will help you make the decision or do the action you identified at the beginning. That's great. Simple and direct. It's the best way, <laughs> best way to success. As I say, I have repeated, I've personally repeated this failure many times. It's a lot more comfortable to do it the way we've always done it and say, hey, everybody in the world, tell me what you're interested in. In some ways, it's more fun because then you get to talk to people and you get to have all these great conversations, but it doesn't actually move you down the agenda. Prepping for this, I was looking back at graveyard of learning agendas that never went anywhere that are in my own files. And that's not very fun now. It was really fun to dream them up in the first place, but it's sad that most of those never went anywhere. Yeah. Well, how do you think we as an organization can use this lesson and the lessons really from this failure to improve our impact globally? I would say that is the first question actually to always start with. As you're developing a learning agenda and that you have that decision point I talked about, that should always be centered on impact. So we should always be asking a question that's going to help us improve impact. And that means we need to get a lot more critical about once we have this information, what are we going to do with it? An example, test two different models of intervention, set up two different methods of subsidy, and we're going to see, is it better to subsidize an intervention before somebody has actually done it? So you pay a community member a grant and hope that they will, in this case, it was build a latrine. Or do you have a community member build a latrine and then reimburse them later? We're going to test those two methods and see which one of those is more effective. That's a great example of one where between those two, if we have an answer with that, we're going to put money and resources into the thing that works better. If, and this is not what happened in the example I'm talking about, but if you did that in the last six months of a project, that is a terrible question to pick because you're not going to change the way you're working. We're not going to put more money into the thing that works better because we don't have more money to put in. How is this going to help us do more with the resources that are available? The second piece for me is to really be honest about what our resource constraints are. We can't possibly answer 50 questions. We can't even answer seven questions effectively if there's no money behind it. Thinking about where is the resource that's going to help us do something. And sometimes it's money, but sometimes it's also people's time and energy. And really valuing that as something people give to us when we ask for people to participate in these processes. They are giving up their own time and energy, their nights and weekends, their passion. And when we abuse that, or when we think it into a process that doesn't go anywhere, that's less that they have to spend creating impact for the people that we serve. Really good food for thought for us to, to take forward. So thank you for that, Emily. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to add or final words of wisdom? Think about how does this help the person that we serve? And that should always be the first question. And how can we do it in a way that's going to get us an actionable answer? The perfect is always the enemy of the good. The longer it takes us to get an answer, the less time we have to actually do the work. Focusing more on following that process through and making the change. The other thing I would say is don't be embarrassed about it. We've all done it. I've been involved in this process a number of times and I have personally repeated this exact same set of mistakes because it feels like that's the thing that would work. It seems like that's a great consultative process. We're crowdsourcing. It seems like that should work and it's hard to make the change and it's counterintuitive and it's kind of counterculture at CARE. There are a lot of people who are uncomfortable with this idea that 
we would narrow to a set of four questions and then ask people to give feedback. I can't include adding six more questions. That's not how we're used to doing things. You have buddies out there. There are a lot of people who are working on this kind of thing. A lot of really smart people who are working on learning agendas and who are learning interesting things all the time. So the trick is finding the right buddies to help you through it. Awesome. It's always good to have good buddies. <laughs> Great. Well, thanks so much, Emily. It's been good talking to you today. Thank you.